Hello, Corner Kick fam. Before you listen to this episode, Nathan and I just wanted to pop in to let you know that this is, in fact, the second half of our Premier League preview show. We've decided to split the preview into two separate parts. Uh, this is going to be part two. So the second half of the alphabet. Nathan, what can they expect in this one? Well, they can expect our final predictions for where each team is going to finish. Some uh, very surprising takes on clubs that maybe will not be going down, clubs that will be going down. All in all, you just have to listen to get the full corner kick experience on a podcast theme that has been really recurring now for almost half a decade. So we're yes. hoping that you will enjoy. Indeed, we hope you enjoy. Uh, you can listen to part one. It is available too. That is an excellent piece of media as well. Corner kick media, some might say. But yes, we hope you enjoy the second part of our Premier League preview coming up right now. the other L team that we have to talk about is Liverpool Football Club. I've so this is like the longest I've I have gone without really thinking much about Liverpool because we got our one signing in, you know, very early on in the window with Ibu Konate, who, you know, I think is going to light it up in the Premier League this season. I think the he's exactly what this team needs, another very very quick center back to improve, you know, the high line that we play, very capable on the ball. You know, he's a colossus as well. So eventually when Virgil van Dijk is fit to start games, having two center backs of 6'4 in height is going to be something to see. Um, we did lose Genie Wijnaldum, who played every single Premier League game last season. He played in all 38 games, and he started 34 of those. I uh, came off the bench in four. So that is a huge, huge, huge loss. I don't care what anyone has to say. The man could literally do everything. Attack, defend, weave the play together. We will. Jurgen Klopp did indicate that you know, Liverpool will be active towards the end of the window. Uh, so we will see in what form that manifests. I think it's going to be interesting to see how you know, the players that we were missing for a large period of last season come back and look. You know, In competitive games, you know, Virgil van Dijk has played uh, quite a bit of preseason and looked like his normal self. Trent Alexander-Arnold played the full 90 minutes against Bill Bow. Um, Andy Robertson is going to start the season injured, it looks like, after coming off with a, an injury in that very same friendly. But Costa Shimakas looked amazing today against Osasuna, you know, very much in a similar mold as other you know clubs that we've discussed, like Aston Villa. You know, Liverpool take a very data-oriented approach to things, so it's not surprising to see that Shimakas plays very similarly to Robertson. But I do I I think this team, you know, when healthy, they're still one of the the four best teams in the Premier League. I think they'll finish in the top four. However, uh, last season they severely underperformed their XG, so it's going to be up to the likes of Takumi Minamino, who's had a very good preseason, Nabi Keita, who's had a very good preseason, Alex Oxley Chamberlain, who's had a very good preseason, to actually make that translate into good performances in the regular season in order for Liverpool to really, you know, rise above and try and contend for that Premier League championship again. I think they're going to finish top four. I do not think that they're really going to contend this year in part because 
you know, another position that you really should have tried to bring in a player is striker. And I'm just not convinced that, you know, the trio of Sala, Mane, and Firmino, and mostly Firmino, a little less so Mane, and almost none at all Sala, are really going to be able to score the requisite goals to keep up with some of the other sides. But I also don't think they should be concerned like last year that they might not finish in the top four, which, you know, for a while um, and pretty much up until the last few games, it, it was it was a bit of a shaky uh, proposition. Listen, you say that Liverpool need to sign a forward, Caleb, but they do have the player who had the highest conversion rate in all of the Premier League last season. And Alison Becker. You're right. You can, you know what? Yeah, right. throw Allison Becker up front. You you have another Brazilian in your team, perfect. And then play Karius at goal. Boom! There it is. Boom! There, yeah, there, we we solved the problem. Yeah, I have Liverpool finishing fourth, but I don't see them contending for the title as well. Um, I think getting Van Dyke back is as good as a new signing, um, assuming that he is back to his full capabilities then Liverpool are going to be defensively very solid. Um, but again, I would also have bought a striker or made a move for a striker um, because this team, particularly Salah, Mane, and Firmino are all approaching the peaks of their career and the peaks of their values. And I worry about Liverpool getting into a situation a few years down the line where they're no longer saleable assets and they have to somehow you know, pull another Coutinho deal out of thin air. So all in all, I think Jota, if he plays at center forward this year mm-hmm. and stays fit, could be that guy. Like, I really do. I've been very impressed with him um, going back to the beginning of last year. This is a huge season for Liverpool because if they don't get into the Champions League, um, you know, if they finish outside of the top four, they are going to have to make a decision about the future of a player like Salah, who, you know, is in his, you know, he's 29. Mane, who is also 29, he'll be 30 before the end of the year. And a player like Firmino, who will be 30, uh, you know, come the sixth or seventh week of the season. So All with two years remaining on their contracts, too. Ex- yes, exactly. So so it's a big year for Liverpool. Um, and I'm curious to see how this, how, how it turns out for them. I do still think this Liverpool team are going to be very good. And I think that just goes to show like how competitive the Premier League has become, particularly in the era of COVID, that all of the talents that this, that is going to be competing in this league this season. I think we could probably have a discussion about that too. But uh, I think that Liverpool, you know, with you know their full squad available to them, you know, is still not too different from the team that won the league two years ago. And due to injury, you know, weren't exactly able to replicate a lot of that play, but still came in third last season, only a few points behind Manchester United. So I do think that this team is still going to be very good, but I don't think, yes, without, you know, improving on those goal-scoring numbers, not solid because he scored over 30 goals last season, but definitely Mane and Firmino, who I think regressed quite a bit. And Mane has been very open about the fact that, you know, he knows that he had a very poor season by his own standards last year. So I think with that knowledge and the fact that those players were given a bit of a break, particularly Mane, who I think needed some time to refresh, I think we'll see, you know, Liverpool look like themselves a little bit this season as opposed to, you know, the dredge of winter last year. And it was very much an unrecognizable team. Well, now we can we can transfer to the Manchester clubs. Yeah, obviously the big signing for 
Manchester City this summer is Dario Sarmiento from Estudiantes. Yes. 5.2 million. And also... Huge outlay for them. Huge, huge outlay. outlay. And cakey. Cake, cakey. <laughs> Do you think it's cocky? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> is it cakey? Uh, we have Cup Uh <laughs> 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 from from Fluminense. No, I'm kidding. Okay. Obviously, the big transfer, Jack Grealish, 100 million. I think we we discussed it a little bit last time. Huge for them. Um, at the same time, though, it doesn't really solve what I think is their main problem. Being, are we going to have um, Gabriel Jesus as like the leading man for this team? My sense is probably not. Um, we saw Ferran Torres in the Community Shield. I think we're going to see a bunch of different approaches to offense. But also, this team really did, you know, do goal scoring by committee. I mean, Ilkay Gundogan was their top scorer last year. So who knows? I think the issue is though, when they face teams like Chelsea and Manchester United, that to some extent have more like defined striker options. I worry that at the end of the day, and I'm surprised and shocked that these words are coming out of my mouth. Manchester City might be a little outgunned in those key matches. And for that reason, I, that's why I think Chelsea edged them out and they're probably going to finish second or third. Yeah, I have City finishing second. You know, again, they are still a Pep-led team. I think that they needed to bring in a striker. And obviously we spent so much time talking about the Harry Kane to City saga, which I don't think is necessarily over by any means. But, you know, they are still... Man City, and even when they are at their worst, they just have too much, too much talent, all in all, um, to for them to finish any lower than second or third. Um, so I think they have the, the, I think they have the lowest, sorry, the highest floor of any team in the league, and you know they're gonna play pet ball and they're just gonna do what they're gonna do. Like that's really all there is to it. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't expect anything different, even with the signing of Jack Grealish. And I think it's, you know, it's a Jack Grealish coming to City is bigger for him than it is for Manchester City. I think it would be different if they had signed Harry Kane, which would have been a huge deal for the club and the team to have a different kind of focal point available to them, something they haven't had in a very long time since they had a fully fit Sergio Aguero. I mean, this team is going to come in second. You know, they have, there's no reason why they shouldn't. I think it's interesting that we are now approaching Pep Guardiola having spent a billion pounds on this team. You know, he's at over 920 right now which is a lot, a lot of money. So there, there has to be a point where it's like, at one point it's like enough, enough. And at one point, does he think like, yeah, okay, like I've done enough with this project. Like this is the farthest that I've taken. This, this is the farthest that I can take this team for the amount that I've put into it, you know? And at what point does he move on? Yeah. And I think the, the issue is maybe he would have moved on like at the end of this year or something, or I don't know when his contract ends, had he won the Champions League, but obviously that didn't happen. Should we move on to the other Manchester club who might win the prize for most improved, bringing in Jaden Sancho, who's a long-term target for only $73 million, way below what Dortmund were asking for last year, and very experienced French international, World Cup winner, Sergio Ramos's partner in crime, Rafael Varane. I think this team has pretty much all the pieces they need. And the only thing holding them back is, does Pogba care? And is Solskjaer good enough to wrangle the quality out of this squad? 
I mean, I know another thing that's holding them back. Actually, mm. two things. Mm. One is they don't have a center defensive midfielder still, so yep. they're going to still have to start McFred <laughs> in the double pivot. Let's not forget that, shall we? And also, the other thing holding them back is Oleg and Solskjaer, as you, I think, are kind of you know bringing this discussion to. And yes, like that is a huge issue. You know, we've seen that this man can only take them so far. You know, he is the bridesmaid and not the bride when it comes to competing in competitions. And there are games, you know, this season where I'm sure like, you know, it's perfectly reasonable for something to happen again, where he like rolls up to the Etihad with City on like a very good run. And, you know, he gets a 3-1 win away at Man City. Or, you know, he beats Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. Or there's another like huge explosion of firepower and they beat some poor team like 8-0 this season. But when it comes to the business end, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has never been able to get it done, even with you know the resources that he has at his disposal. And yes, Varane and Maguire are a very, very good center-back duo. You know, both have injury issues of their own that United fans better hope don't flare up. And I hope for the sake of this team that they don't. That's an interesting question about Paul Pogba. He's in the final year of his contract. Does he you know, really play with that same energy that we saw at the Euros in the summer? And Jaden Sancho just had his first Man United training session today. So I don't think we'll be seeing him, at least not at his full flow, for a little bit. But once he does, he's going to be extremely good for this team. He's going to be exactly what this team needs going forward. He's going to be something different when Man United rub up against it, against teams that sit back and defend. That's That's usually, you know, where United come up a bit short. Jaden Sancho is going to prevent that, and he's going to win a lot of points for them this season. But I just wonder if that's going to be enough for them to contend, especially without that defensive midfielder. Yeah, I think, I mean, I have them finishing third. Uh, I just don't have faith in Solskjaer to get it done over the course of an entire season, even though he, he did improve his standing with me personally after last season. Their squad is massive, like truly huge. Because all of the young players who they brought in last year and then loaned out for half a year are still there, except for Palestri, who I think is back on loan at all of us. I just don't see them being able to be consistently good enough in the league. I think they're going to always have one eye on Europe. And sadly, that's going to cost them, uh, I think, when, when all is said and done. Um, but they are still going to be a good team, obviously. Like, they are, sadly... Um, a well-constructed side, but again, it's that center defensive midfield combo. It's the surplus players in their squad that I think are going to be a little bogged down, and it's uh, figuring out the best combination of three attackers when all when everyone is fit that I think is going to, you know, really make the difference for you know title contention or top four contention for them. I think the thing that they was really smart was that they kept Edinson Cavani for another yeah. season. You know, for, you know, as far as like 34-year-old strikers go, you know, he is like one of the better ones that is that you're going to get, especially when you have, you know, a young player coming in like Jaden Sancho. You know, Cavani can kind of, you know, take him under his wing a little bit. and it, It's, you know, better for Sancho to have an experienced guy like him and not just have to lean on the likes of Rashford, who is going to be out for, it looks like, for the start of this season. And Greenwood as well. So it's good that they have like an experienced Ted and Cavani kind of steering the ship up front. It's also possible that with the sort of slightly rejiggered uh, VAR rules that they'll get <laughs> far fewer penalties. And so we could see a regression for Bruno Fernandes as well. 
I'm, I'm kind of kidding, but I'm also kind of not. Let's move on to Newcastle. Uh, I think we can probably do this one pretty quickly. They're going to stay up. It's not going to be pretty. They're going to sign Joe Willick like within the next day or two. And, um, you know, they did have a bizarre stretch where they were like top, I think top six in the form table over the last 10 games of the season. But uh, yeah, again, I mean, this is like the most underwhelming page on the Guardian right now that you could ever see. So yeah, their transfer balance is zero. <laughs> so I, will, I guess it'll be yeah. minus 25 million when Joe Willock eventually signs yeah. for them. And I think that's a really good deal. Honestly, I think he overperformed for them in the back half of last season. And he looked like the you know injection of youth and excitingness, if that's even a word. It is now. Joe Willock is pure excitingness that uh, Newcastle United needed. But yeah, I think it's going to be another season of Bruce Ball, not particularly inspiring. inspiring. <laughs> not, they're, not, they're not Bielsa. Not, not particularly inspiring uh, from Steve Bruce. Um who I don't think a lot of Newcastle Newcastle fans are enamored with as a manager. I think they would have probably hoped that they would have gotten someone else in by now. They don't. Um, you know, rest in peace, Andy Carroll, who looks like has been released. Oh, dude, I was about to say that's that's actually kind of sad. But that he's only sad. played like he plays like two games a year for them and scores a header in one. Okay. Let's get to Norwich, who I think have had a very, very interesting summer. Uh, they were the 20th place team in the Premier League two seasons ago. However, I think a lot of people can agree that they played some really, really good football, even though they finished in 20th. And I think one of their main issues was that they didn't really, I don't want to say compensate enough for you know the free-flowingness that they did have by reinforcing at the back. But I think they've kind of, they've made some really shrewd deals this summer that I really like that reinforced the entire spine of the team and not just you know the midfield and going forward. Ben Gibson from Burnley. You no, know, Ben Gibson had wanted out of Burnley for a while. He's a very good defender, uh, particularly at like the you know upper tier championship to lower tier Premier League level. And for eight million, that's a bit of a steal for someone of his talent. Uh, Dimitris Giannoulis, you know, uh, as someone who has Costas, a man by the name of Kostas Shimakas playing on his team, we think I might know more about these Greek guys. I don't. I, I know zero about Demetrius Giannoulis. Perhaps my Greek listeners can fill me in a little bit on this guy. But he comes from Pauk. It's Pauk. Pauk? Pauk. Oh, yeah, you've been there, haven't you? I mean, I've been to Greece, but I when I was talking with Billy, when I was in Athens with him, he called it Pauk. Pauk. Okay. Pauk. They have signed, I think, corner kick favorite, low-key. Uh, <laughs> yes, very sneaky. <laughs> Milot Rashika from Werder Bremen for a cool 9.4 million you know, who I think we were all expecting to come on a little bit last season. That didn't really happen. Vertebrimen got relegated. No, uh, no. <laughs> I, think, I think after he was like player of the Bundesliga in our Bundesliga simulation, we, we you know, that warped our perception of him a little bit. But I think he's a, I think he's a properly talented winger. Yeah, I think he will, he will help this team a lot, particularly, you know, offer something a bit more technical on the wing, you know, maybe not in terms of actual numbers, but definitely his quality. Pierre-Lise Melou from Nice in France for 3.5 million, which is a steal. This guy, I know you, go, you guys don't watch much Liga, but this guy is a very, very talented passer of the ball. Very, very good distributor. Uh, he's kind of like your traditional technical midfielder uh, for Nice. 
And I think getting him for 3.5 is a bit of a steal, honestly. And talking about steals, getting in Billy Gilmore on loan from Chelsea. Mm. I think this is the move that Billy Gilmore needs to really establish himself as a Premier League mainstay to really prove that he can be consistently good, which I think he can be. You know, he's 20 years old. I think this is going to be his breakout season playing week in, week out on a team like Norwich who aren't, you know, primarily defensively oriented. Daniel Farka is a very, very progressive coach. And on that point, bring in a striker like Josh Sargent, you know, a bit more of a technician up front, something a bit different than the Lord, our God, Timo Pukki. Um, I think is a really, really shrewd move from Norwich, also from Werder Bremen, a big move for the American uh, number one striker. Yeah, I have Norwich actually finishing 20th in the league. Um, <laughs> okay, well, way to bury all of my hard work there. <laughs> no, it's just, it's just if, if past is prologue, right, this right. Norwich no, yeah. team is, they are the ultimate yo-yo club. And it's, it's hard for me to look past their performances in the past and in particular, this back four, as we saw, they are capable of having games where they will outcreate you. You know, there was that great game they had against Man City, I think, when it might have been Emmy Buendia had a career game. But all in all, there's just a little bit too much championship in this team from the midfield three back. And even though I do agree with your points on Billy Gilmore, Josh Sargent. I feel bad saying that he's not great, but I watched him a couple of times for Werder Bremen and he's very much a sort of typical American striker in the Bundesliga, sort of in the Bobby Wood niche where, you know, he scores a lot of gritty goals and I just don't know that he has merited even the 13 million uh, US dollars fee that he just got so i hope they stay up because again great club great fan base very passionate um it's a really really fun away trip allegedly for for those who can make it but i just don't have the faith in them to survive over the course of an entire year well you're wrong because they're gonna survive i mean i think you could be right i don't think they'll finish in 20th but i definitely think they'll be in a relegation fight but I think they have the quality to get out of it if they do yeah. get dragged into that. I mean, you guys saw Tom Cantwell's like bicycle kick assist. Oh, yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah. I mean, his right? name is Todd, but yeah. Todd. Todd versus Tom. You know, cut, cut me some slack. I know. <laughs> but that's going to be, he's going to be raining those in every week. <laughs> every week. <laughs> that's the human highlight reel down there at Kara we're, call, we're calling that the Cantwell now. Yep. Anyways, they open their season at home against Liverpool. So I, I will be uh, watching them very, very soon. And I, I hope, dude, I Liverpool hope it's not. Liverpool love just destroying Norwich. Yeah, it's, it's since 2013. Dude, I hope it's not, but I kind of hope it is a repeat of that 5-4 game in 2016. Oh, that was wild. But that was the game where like Stefan Basogog, I don't know if you guys remember that guy. Oh yeah, it's a throwback. Scored an absolute worldie in like the 92nd minute to tie it. And then Adam Lallana like hit the, like a ricochet came to him and he like hit the ball and it like bounced off the ground into the back of the net in like the 96th minute. And then he like ran over to Klopp and we did like the classic Klopp celebration and Klopp like broke his glasses. And that was like his first like big, you know, Liverpool moment. 
I don't know. I have very fond memories of Liverpool playing Norwich, particularly, you know, as Caleb kind of indicated, the Luis Suarez uh, 12 goals and six appearances that he scored (laughs) against them. Anyways, let's move on to Southampton. I think this is kind of a controversial club to talk about. I like the moves that they've made so far. Um, This is a team that right now knows exactly what they are doing, which I think is different than how they often have acted in the past, where I think they've had (laughs) illusion. What? Do you disagree? I have them finishing 20th. Really? I do. You have them finishing 20th? I do. I have them finishing 11th. So that's a pretty big difference. Adam Armstrong is a player who has really excelled in the last couple of seasons. Um, I think he's he's a former Newcastle youth player as well. Yes. Um, buying someone like Livermento from Chelsea, you know, young, it's not the worst uh, flyer to take on a player. Obviously, you know, the big question is going to be up top without Danny Ings, even half a season worth of Danny Ings. Um, I think that they probably aren't done in the window, if I had to guess, because I don't see them being willing to go into the season with the... the uh, the squad they have right now but i really think that they are going to be a mid-table team that knows that they're a mid-table team and that's that the center back pairing of bednarek and vestigard is very solid players like jan valeri who i thought did quite well as an attacking right back in the beginning of last season um could be ready to make a, a play a bigger role we didn't see too much of mo salisu who was brought in as a player who I thought could have made a huge impact, but nonetheless, um, you know, this team is going to get some James Ward Prowse goals. They're going to He's injured for how long he has a knee injury with an, and not there's no expected return. Well, yeah, I just think the question is going to be the goals. Like Che Adams can't give you Danny Ings worth of goals, you know? Yeah. This team's going down. I, I'm not sure if they're going to finish 20th. I have them. 20th is kind of like a hot take type of deal, but I definitely think they're going down. And if they're not going down, they're going to be heavily involved in the relegation scrap. Uh, they're just not good enough. Like It's simple as. Like like Nathan was kind of indicating, like Che Adams is going to be their main man going forward. Thrilling. I'll just pregnant pause right there. Like that's like, you know, if you wanted to insert crickets, their midfield is not good enough, particularly with James Ward-Prowse struggling with injury to start the season. Um, Stuart Armstrong, I think is, is probably the best of the midfield players that they have without him. But even then, you know, he's kind of a Scottish premiership quality of player. Uh, Theo Walcott, you know, is one year older. I know he was decent for them last season. I think if they could have gotten back some of the players that they had on loan, you know, like Takumi Minamino, I think would have been a very good addition for them. I still think they should try and get him if they can. Um, but even at the back, you know, Benerek, I don't think is that good. You know, Vestergaard, I think, is probably their best defender. But even then, you know, there's only so much that he can really do. And he's come off of a really exhausting summer with the Danish national team. Yeah, Caleb, I don't know about you, man, but I'm just not, I'm not feeling Southampton. I don't rate them very highly. I don't know where the goals are coming from. And I think unlike a lot of lower teams, they don't really have much of like a talisman type player either, um, which can make life very difficult. I don't have them finishing 20th, though. Like, I, I I can't really understand a world where Southampton are, like, markedly worse than Burnley are going to be um, this year. But you obviously are the one person who thinks that Burnley aren't going to go down. So clearly I'm definitely are. not the, the only person. 
No, but on this podcast. Oh, on this podcast. Yeah. 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 No, I'm not talking about also the world. have a talisman. <laughs> Dude, that's the thing. Like, imagine, imagine if, imagine if that's how conversations worked, and you were like, oh, yeah. <laughs> like obviously, I'm only talking about the three of us here. Oh yeah. So let's, wait, let's move on to Spurs because I'm curious where you guys. I think we're going to have an interesting discussion about Tottenham. They're they're in such a balance right now. Because if they lose Kane and then don't have time to bring a striker in, they simply don't have a striker on this team. Well, there's some also like weird, like seemingly like very accurate Lartaro Martinez discussions going on right now between Spurs and Inter that I'm kind of interested. Like, turn them down. No, I know, but they're still going on. And like Lukaku wanted to stay at Inter, right? But he ended up greenlighting a move to Chelsea because I bet the club kind of nudged him in that direction because the club injuries need the money. So I'm wondering if it's like the same situation where yes, like Lautaro wants to stay, but if a bid comes in as Fabrizio Romano likes to put it, a quote unquote important bid from Tottenham (laughs) comes in. Then I wonder if we do see Lautaro going to Spurs. And even if not, they've maintained a very clear interest in Fiorentina's Dusan Vlahovic, regardless of the status of Harry Kane. And I think Fabio Paratici has made a very good first impression on me as a sporting mm. director of this club, certainly getting some interesting pieces through the door and looking to, you know, kind of switch up the composition of a squad that I think had gotten very stale in recent years. So you sure. look at uh, making the deal from Eric Lamella to Sevilla plus cash for Brian Hill. I think, you know, it's not someone who's going to statistically perform right away, but it's definitely an emerging talent. And I think offers something very, very different on the wings than what you're kind of accustomed to seeing, which is like very rapid, direct wingers in Hunman Son and Lucas Mora. I think Heal offers a bit more craft in those areas. And then, you know, the aforementioned Christian Romero, who is, you know, as good of a promising center back as you're going to get, you know, on the market mm-hmm. in Europe these days from Atalanta. And I think Nuno looks really revitalized as Spurs manager. You know, he doesn't look like someone who's coming in, you know, knowing that he's, you know, and I bet he knows this, you know, knowing that he wasn't first choice. And he looks like he's attacking this job with a lot of really refreshed energy. He looks like a completely different guy than the person who left Wolves a bit downtrodden. So I, I, I even though, you know, there are still Harry Kane rumors swirling, you know, you still have to look at this team and think that they, there is a lot of quality all over the squad still. You know, perhaps there are still some problem areas, particularly defensively at right back, and maybe they need another center back as well. You know, I don't, I don't know if they're going to surprise a lot of people, but I don't think they're going to be, you know, horrific either. No, I think yeah. If if we don't like speculate and we look at the squad that they literally have right now, which includes Harry Kane, last year's team minus Alderweireld and Lamella plus Heal and Romero is probably on balance slightly better. At the same time, you have to factor in that even if Kane doesn't leave, the knowledge that, you know, your most important player might not be completely all in on the project could be damaging to squad dynamics. However, at the same time, it's probably less damaging to squad dynamics than having Jose Mourinho as a coach. On balance, (laughs) as it stands, I think they're in a better position than last year. But by the time this podcast gets released, they could be in... 4,000 times worse a position. And I think that uncertainty is what makes sort of like evaluating this team quite difficult. I have them, again, being in pretty much a similar position as they were last year. I think they're going to be fighting with, you know, primarily Arsenal and Leicester for, 
Europa League spots. I don't know. I'm, I'm sort of conflicted because I'm not that high on Nuno as a coach. I think a lot of what he did at Wolves last year, um, or his last year rather, was fairly regressive. And I sort of worry about, I, I do kind of worry that he was, I, I do kind of worry that Nuno was like the fourth choice manager for them when, when all was said and done. I have them finishing seventh, and I think they could finish as high as fifth and as low as like eighth or ninth, depending on, you know, the intangibles of of Harry Kane, et cetera. But, you know, the basics are all there. Like Romero, good transfer, right? Like that's just a, a solid deal for them. Um, but otherwise, I think we're going to see a lot of the same over-reliance on, on Kane and Son that we have in the past couple of years. Okay, let us move on to Watford. What the hell is going on here? Goodness gracious. Dude, this team is just, it makes no sense. Dude, what is this? Why do they They're always do this? They're going for quantity over quality by far. No, I know. Why, what is happening here, Caleb? Why, every time I feel like we talk about <laughs> Watford in these season previews, it's like, their, it's like their transfer page is like a novella. Oh, God. Well, and the best part, right, is that none of these players are even <laughs> from Udinese or no, Granada, which are the partner teams, which normally we see players being moved around. Oh, God, this is this is real bad. You want to talk about <laughs> you want to talk about a team finishing 20th place? Look no further, my friends. Their solution at striker is is is. Josh King, who's who's legit and he's a Premier League quality player, but Emmanuel Dennis, who is he? You might ask. That's a question I had myself before this podcast. Emmanuel Dennis, twenty-three year old, comes from. Well, he was on loan in the Bundesliga last year, but mostly has played in the Belgian league, where he has never scored more than seven goals in the league. Oh no! His top scoring season ever was when he scored 12 goals in all competitions as like a 19-year-old in 2017-18. Last season, he had zero goals in the league for Club Bruges in nine appearances before making a loan move to Cologne, where he also scored zero goals in nine (laughs) appearances. Like, talk about a way to lose three and a half million dollars, like nothing. I mean, it's pretty much like... (laughs) It's pretty much Bitcoin and Emmanuel Dennis. Um, I, I I hate to harp on this guy because like I don't know, at least Bitcoin fluctuates. No, right, but like I simply don't understand what's going on, and like some something shady is always happening with this team. They are going down. Like, <laughs> team is just like a money laundering scheme, dude. You, can't, you, can't, you also can't be called like the Hornets and then have like a moose on your logo, like. There's so many things wrong with this club. Listen, and, I yeah. maintain that Watford have gone downhill ever since they were sold by Elton John, and Elton John is no longer the president of this team. I think they need to bring back Elton John. I think they need to let Elton John make all of the footballing decisions on this team because I think that would be a hell of a lot better than whatever this is. Uh, Imran Luza is a good player from Nantes, you know, regardless of his name, literally being a loser. Um, <laughs> he's, he's a decent midfielder from Nantes. But, you know, the rest of this is pretty shocking. I'm not going to lie. I mean, you need to look no further than their manager, uh, Chisco, 
whose only coaching experience came with Dynamo Tbilisi for a year and a half before being appointed at Watford. So forgive me for not having a ton of faith in a coach whose only experience was in the Georgian league before moving to the championship. Um, So, yeah, I mean, all in all, I have this team finishing 19th, but they are going to be battling it out all season long. Um, And also the method of quantity over quality never works, right? Like it it never works for promoted teams. Um, It's the same thing that we saw Cardiff try to do a few years ago. It just is a, a losing no. Cardiff strategy. didn't sign anyone. You're talking about um. Oh, not Cardiff. No, no, no. Like, um, like, no. You're talking about like OG Cardiff. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I say a few years ago because time has lost all all meaning because we're on year five of this podcast somehow. So yeah, I don't know. I think this team is going down, and uh, yeah, just some really baffling decisions made in terms of players who they brought in. Okay, let's move on to West Ham United. Another who good one. Are very, very close to bringing in Nikola Milinkovic, the mm-hmm. center back from Fiorentina. But other than that, you know, it doesn't look like they'll be getting Jesse Lingard back this season. They have brought in another player who I think is just an excuse for teams to loan money or, um, or launder money, Alphonse Areola on loan from, from PSG, uh, and also Craig Dawson, who completed a $2 million move after his loan. I think it's going to be more of the same from West Ham. I think David Moyes brings a lot of stability to this team and he himself solves a lot of problems and compensates for a lot of issues in the squad by how kind of you know pragmatic and knowledgeable he is about the Premier League. I do think this team needs a bit more in terms of death de- death sorry in ter- <laughs> this team needs a bit more in terms of depth uh, particularly going forward especially without Jesse Lingard and uh, Seb Haller. So I, I, I think a few more signings are needed in order for me to be totally sold on West Ham. What's good to see is that West Ham are no longer doing the like spend <laughs> 40 million on like average wingers. And I think, you know, that's exemplified by the end of the Felipe Anderson era being sold back to Lazio for three and a half million after he was bought for like 50. Um, I think it is a shame they couldn't convince Lingard to come back considering he's going to get about zero minutes um, at Manchester United. Um, But I think, you know, they're probably not going to really be challenging for Europe, but I think they will be a stable club this year, which is probably why they brought in someone like Moyes and also something that they've been desperately searching for over the past decade or so. Yeah, I think they finished in the top half. I think the the goalkeeping duo of Ariola and Fabianski is, is pretty solid. Yeah, I think they were a they they overperformed last year in a year in which other big teams underperformed, like particularly Arsenal and Spurs when when all was said and done. And I just don't I don't think you can anticipate those teams doing or performing as poorly again. So, uh, you know, I, I loved Ben Rama. He didn't start as many games as I thought he would for them, um, but I think he is he's really good. Jared Bowen was an assists machine. Um, for my fantasy team for about four weeks in a row. Um, and yeah, I agree. It just like the, going the, to Liverpool. Yeah, the, the smart <laughs> spending, I think, the smart spending, I think, is a big thing because we saw them basically as a yo-yo team from um, the top of the table to the bottom of the table, you know, over the course of, you know, each 18-month sort of cycle. And I know that they've got some outstanding debts to pay as well from their owners so okay let us move on to our final team 
Uh, it is Wolverhampton Wanderers who are entering a new era, but not really because they still hired another Portuguese manager in the form of Bruno Lage, who last coached Benfica. Um, I don't really know much about him as a manager, so it'll be interesting to see how he you know, acclimates to the Premier League. They have made some pretty interesting signings. They've signed Barcelona winger Francisco Trincao on loan, Ryan Aitnuri permanently from Angers, who I think you know had a very good first few games uh, of the season last year, but kind of tailed off towards the end. And they have signed Jose Sa from Olympiacos to replace Rui Patricio in goal, who is headed to Roma. So I think you know the the bulk of this team has remained the same. It's still a very small squad in terms of Premier League teams. Uh, there's not actually that many players on this team. But I think the big thing for them is that they're going to get back Raul Jimenez, it looks like, is going to start the season fit for them. And I think that's huge for this Wolves team, particularly with a new manager at the home. Yeah, I mean, obviously, having Jimenez back is giant for a squad that was thin to begin with and especially thin on secondary goal-scoring options with even some other wingers like Azama Traore, who had a bit of a down year last year, never being that prolific themselves. Um, I think this is the year that the kind of identity of this sort of like Portugal B thing starts to to fade and fall apart. I think Rui Patricio leaving is a big part of that. I think Nuno leaving is a big part of that. I think the area that this squad is thinnest has been midfield for the past several years. And the one area of the field they didn't bring any players in was midfield. How long can Jan Moutinho continue to play as many games as he does in the midfield? How long will other people in the midfield want to stay at the club? They're not going to go down, but I think they are going to remain in the bottom half of the table. And I think next summer could be a kind of crisis point uh, for the sort of Wolves renaissance. Wolves, I just don't see them breaking into the top half of the table this year. I liked Aitnuri for them. Um, you know, Trincao is obviously a different element than the sort of pace of a guy like Traore on the wings. But again, end product is key. And I just don't think that they necessarily have it, even if Raul is back and fully fit. So before we head out, we are going to give our full 20-team Premier League table. This is how we think everything is going to shake out come the end of the season. And I think it'll be fun to go back and reflect on this you know, once 2022 comes around. So Nathan Strauss, why don't you start off with your full... Or we, do we want to go... No, we like go one by one. Yeah, I was yeah. going to go oh, one wait, by never one. Mind. Okay, yeah, let's yeah. go one by one. So Chelsea. 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 Oh. City. City. Manchester City. United. United. Liverpool. Mm. Liverpool. Liverpool. Leicester. Ooh. Ooh. And this is for fourth place, by the way. Yeah. Oh, wait, no. I have, sorry. I have Man United for fourth. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Um, I have oh. Leicester in fifth. I also have Leicester in fifth. I have Leicester in fifth as well. Arsenal in sixth. Spurs. Tottenham. Spurs in seventh. Aston Villa. Aston Villa. <laughs> I have Villa in eighth. Arsenal in eighth. Arsenal. West Ham in ninth. Leeds. Leeds. Leeds in 10th. West Ham in 10th. Everton in 10th. Interesting. So now we're getting a little bit of separation. Southampton in 11th. Uh, Everton in 11th. Wolves in 11th. 
Wolves in 12th. Crystal Palace in 12th. West wow. Ham in 12th. Everton in 13th. Uh, Newcastle in 13th. Newcastle in 13th. <laughs> Dang. Uh, Brighton in 14th. Uh, Norwich in 14th. Brighton in 14th, Nathan. Nice. Newcastle in 15th. Wolves in 15th. Crystal Palace in 15th. Brentford in 16th. Southampton in 16th. Burnley in 16th. Palace in 17th. Uh, Brighton in 17th. Norwich in 17th. Mm. Burnley in 18th. Brentford in 18th. Brentford in 18th. Watford in 19th. Burnley in 19th. Watford in 19th. And Norwich in 20th, sadly. Watford in 20th. Southampton Football Club. Twentieth. <laughs> <laughs> it's so aggressive. It's so aggressive. It, it is. It, it's yeah. That is definitely the the most like the most shocking pick for any of us this year. Um, but yeah, I like that we had some variety in there. It did not end up being as as close as I thought it was going to be. Caleb and I's tables are uh, yeah. Very, very close. So it's very interesting because I thought Caleb and I, we all had pretty similar analysis, but it's interesting how certain things flip-flopped. But yeah. Well, well, a lot of it depends. I think our top, like, top 10s are relatively similar. But yeah. in the bottom 10, it depends, like, which team do you, like, weirdly have a vendetta against? Like, Nick, <laughs> for whatever reason. <laughs> Nick, for whatever reason, even though Southampton have provided, like, half of his Liverpool team. <laughs> 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 wants them to go down but then that shifts everyone else up and that's how it gets kind of like off kilter. no exactly yeah yeah i think yeah it's, it's the mid table is always the hardest because those you know always end up being like everyone is within like four or five points of each other so you know it could be that like you know west ham finished two points ahead of wolves and they're in 11th but then wolves finish like in 13th because newcastle have like one point one more point than them what has to be said though is that this is probably particularly towards the top end of the table the most talented the league has ever been in a very long time with the likes of Jack Grealish making the move to City, Romelu Lukaku going to Chelsea, Jaden Sancho being at Manchester United, Virgil van Dijk back at full fitness at Liverpool. And, you know, we'll see, wait and see about what happens with Harry Kane and Tottenham and what moves that they make. But this is going to be a very exciting season. Uh, apologies to Southampton Football Club. I do not hate you. Southampton fans, I love you. Um, you know, we'll see what happens there. You know, maybe I'm wrong. I hope I am. But with all of that being said, this has been Corner Kick. This is how we think the 2021-2022 Premier League season is going to go down. And it will be going down starting this Friday. So we will be back with you at the weekend or you know, perhaps sooner if anything crazy happens. We shall see. It's been a crazy month already. Um, but yeah. With that all being said, I've been Nick Vinden, Caleb Reds, Nathan Strauss, and we will see you all next time. <laughs>